Well, good morning. Welcome this morning. Thanks so much for being here. If you have kids or you know kids or there are some school age kids in your life, whether it be grandkids, neighbors or nieces or nephews, um, you know this is a big week. School is starting this week. And so we're starting to head toward that um, that rhythm and that routine that uh, some of us dread and others covet. So whichever way you look at it, um, this is a big week and we want to pray for our kids. Um, But as we head into the fall and start to prepare for um, a new ministry season, we do want to just share with you some opportunities um, to serve. And serving kids ministry is a great way to just continue reinforcing um, the truth of God's word to our kids. And so there's a couple of different um, opportunities specifically here. If you want to just take a peek at that, um, our early childhood and our elementary needs for fall as we head into fall. Um, And if you do feel um, a sense of uh, interest and you want to find out some more information, our kids ministry director is going to be out at the Connect booth right after her name is Sandy. And so you can go say hi to Sandy. She'll tell you all the wonderful things about serving in kids ministry. Um, Also, there's a little checkbox this week on the card, um, which by the way, total side note, um, if, uh, if you don't mind filling this out, it's really helpful for us just to know, even if you just put first and last name on there and drop it in the offering box. It's always super helpful for us to know who's here. Um, and in addition to that, we love to pray for you. So if there are things we can be praying for you, um, fill that out. And then if you want uh, more information about kids ministry, you can check that box as well. Um, as we head into the fall next week, or actually in two weeks, so August 27th, we're calling our fall kickoff Sunday. And it's not that we haven't had church all summer. For those of you that haven't been here, um, we did have church without you. I know, I can't believe it. Um, but we're jumping back into a rhythm of a lot of groups that are starting up. And so we really desire that um, every single person at ABC would be in some sort of group um, where you're circling up on a weekly basis and getting together and sharing God's word together, praying for one another. And so there's a lot of groups that are beginning um, in the next maybe three weeks or so. So August 27th, Sunday, we're going to have lunch after church. So stick around, plan to um, stay for lunch, and there'll be a lot of opportunities, a lot of those groups will be here so you can kind of see what different groups are happening in the fall. And if you're not a part of a group, you can see one maybe that you might want to sign up and get involved in. So um, on one more mention, if you uh, could just turn your bulletin over to the blue graph there. Um, we try to print these financial updates once a month just to give you a little snapshot of where we're at as a church. Um, and if you look at that left-hand column, that's our general fund. That's the tithe um, that many of you sacrificially give towards. Um, We're really, really grateful. The top line there says year-to-date income. That's the money that's coming through general fund tithe. And then year-to-date expenses. That's our operational expenses, um, both for the property, the utilities, the salaries, everything else. And so um, we're right now ahead by 90,000, which is just a tremendous blessing. God is so good to us um, in providing for us. And that happens through your faithfulness as you're obedient to him. So we're really grateful. I want to say thank you for that. And then on the right-hand column, that shows our missions fund. Um, So our planned uh, giving um, is a little, or our current giving is a little behind our planned giving. Um, But again, we're making up for that in other ways, especially with the surplus on the other side. So um, God's very, very faithful, and we're really grateful. Um, So thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I want to invite you as we jump into our sermon time, just to pray with me as I pray for our kids and our families who are heading into a very busy week. Um, Some of you parents are feeling maybe a little stress in your home as you think about what this uh, week and rhythm um, looks like. And so I would like to just pray and, and ask that God would cover us and lead us. Lord, we're grateful for the way that you provide for us. We're grateful the way that Uh, you lead us. You give us the next steps. Lord, you show us what to do. And so I'm asking for a favor, Lord, for our families, for those who have kids that are jumping into a, a school week ahead here. Lord, we pray for the protection over our kids. We pray for direction for our kids, for discernment, for wisdom. Lord, would they be loved and cared for well? And would you continue to teach them and instruct them in truth? God, may our children know that there is absolute truth and that they can find it in your word. And may we be guided and directed by your word every single week and every single day as as families as we process through um, what you have for us. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for leading us. I ask that you do so this morning as well as we open your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, ABC family. 
So good to see so many of you here this morning. And welcome to our online community. Um, maybe you're still out on vacation, milking every last minute of summer. <laughs> and our prayer for you is that someday, as the Spirit leads, you'd be able to join us back here again uh, in person and experience the movement of God here in this room. Um, I love our worship team. I love the way we get to join our hearts together in worship as a family. And if we haven't had the opportunity to, to meet yet, my name is Gerald. I get to serve here at ABC as the discipleship pastor, and it is a great joy to be able to do that. Now, some of you are rejoicing or dreading this time of year for one reason or another, probably something to do with coming back to school. But I love this time of year for another reason. I love it because of what it does for my eyes. Have you driven around the Central Coast lately with your eyes open and paid attention to these beautiful bright green vines growing in the foreground with the, the golden ripe grass of the cattle pastures in the background? The contrast is stunning. And I tell you what, it warms this old farm boy's heart to be able to drive through <laughs> the winding roads of the 41 and, and take that in. Yeah, we live in wine country, and there are lots of luscious grapevines growing on the sides of the hills. And if you slow down enough when you drive past one, you get to see that there's a lot of work that goes into making these vines productive. Part of that work is building an apparatus that we call a trellis, right? There, there are posts that have been meticulously put in precise places so that even when you drive by at 60 miles an hour, it lines up about a million times and makes perfect rows as you drive by. It's incredible. But the reason that that trellis is there, it's not to be a beautiful trellis. It is to support the vine and to make the vine even more productive than it would otherwise be if the trellis wasn't there. That structure is there to make the vine fruitful. And now some of your minds are probably ahead of me, right? And now you're thinking of vine or vineyard imagery in the Bible. The Bible actually talks a lot about vineyards, a lot about vines. And probably your mind is going to John chapter 15 right now, right? Where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And he goes on and he commands us to abide in him as his disciples, right? Because apart from him, we can do nothing. So if we want to be part of that productive vine, we need to do so by abiding in Jesus. Now, there's a, a book here that has informed the way our ministry staff and our elders think about ministry. It's called The Trellis and the Vine, and the subtitle is The Ministry Mind Shift That Changes Everything. I want to read just a brief quote out of this book. Quote, the basic work of any Christian ministry is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of God's Spirit and to see people converted, changed, and grow to maturity in that gospel. That's the work of planting, watering, fertilizing, and tending the vine. That's what Christian ministry is about. It's vine work, which is why I've titled this message Vine Work today. And today, as we continue to preach way, our way through the, the Gospel of Matthew, we come to Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus tells another parable to his disciples. And he tells them what this kingdom of heaven is to look like on earth. And as he does that, he uses the imagery of a vineyard to get his point across. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We'll begin reading at verse 1, and before we begin to read this text, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to tune our ears to His voice. Father, we come to You now in Jesus' name, acknowledging that You have inspired these words by the Holy Spirit. You have preserved these words by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus spoke them on this earth to His disciples, He did so in the power and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So now as we read them out loud as I, and as I make an attempt to explain them, will you please do so by the power of your Holy Spirit? Have your way in our midst this morning. We pray, Jesus, in your matchless name. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. 
And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when these hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do that, what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So there's the parable. A parable about a master who goes out and he hires laborers for his vineyard. And the question is, what does it mean? What is this parable about? Mike Wilkins is a New Testament scholar, and he says this. He says, this parable is about gratitude and motivation for service, not salvation or rewards for service. Now, I respect and love Mike Wilkins, and I'm going to agree with him on three of those four points and disagree with him respectfully on one. And my hope is to show you a biblical reason for why I disagree with that. I agree with him that it is about gratitude. It's definitely about gratitude. It's definitely about our motivation for service. I agree with him that it is not about rewards for service. It's not about uh, what each person gets based on the quantity or the quality of their work, right? We see Paul explain that to us real clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each one of us who under the influence of the Spirit, partner with Jesus as he builds his church and do the work that God has gifted and called us to do, we will receive rewards, eternal rewards, based on that work, based on what we chose to build with, right? 1 Corinthians 3, that's on our reading plan for this week, and you can refer to that later. So I agree that this parable is not about those kind of rewards for service. But I disagree with Wilkins when he says it's not about salvation. I do think this parable is about salvation, and this is why. It's because of the context. If you were here last week, you heard Jeff preach about this rich young ruler, right, who said, I have obeyed all the commandments, and Jesus says, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And on the heels of hearing this, the disciples ask in verse 27, Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And in response to Peter's question, Jesus says, verse 29, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will in and inherit eternal life. So Jesus clearly is speaking to Peter, the things that you have done, the things you've left behind in order to follow me and in order to join me in my work, you're going to receive a hundredfold for those sacrifices that you've made and eternal life. And then he says this statement, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And then he jumps right into today's passage and he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now this word that is translated as for is a connecting word. It means that what Jesus is saying now in chapter 20 is directly related to what he has just told Peter in chapter 19. Everything you've left behind, you'll receive a hundredfold and eternal life. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house 
who went out and hired laborers to work in his vineyard. That's the context. And that's why I believe that the wages that are spoken of in this parable, helping us understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, these wages are eternal life. That's how I understand it. And now some of you, your alarm bells are ringing in your mind and you're going, wait a minute, Gerald. My radar tells me that now you're talking about salvation by works. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about salvation by grace through faith, a faith that works. Listen to what James says in chapter 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Biblically, saving faith is a faith that works. And that is, I think, exactly what Jesus is speaking into here in the parable of Matthew chapter 20. So these are my goals for us here today in this sermon. I have three things that I want to accomplish. I want us to understand this parable. I really want us to get it because it is so important for us. Secondly, I want us to become convinced of God's call on each one of our lives to this thing called vine work. And thirdly, I want us to be properly motivated for our vine work. So those are the goals today. And if we're going to understand this parable, that's our first goal, then we need to understand three nouns in verse one. We need to understand who is this master? We need to understand what are these laborers, who are these laborers that he's hiring, and we need to understand what is this vineyard into which he's sending these laborers. So today we're going to take these in reverse order. We're going to start by examining the vineyard. It's obvious in this parable that the master owns a vineyard, right? And it's precisely the important and the pressing work of the vineyard that drives him into the marketplace to hire laborers. He has so much work to do in his vineyard that he can't do it all by himself. He must hire other people into it. So the question is, what is the vineyard? What is the work? And the, the Bible's full of vineyard imagery. You know, we, we've made reference to John 15, Jesus saying, I am the true vine. That's because it's always been God's plan for his people to be like a vineyard, to bear abundant fruit, and to be the blessings that God's people receive for those to flow through his people to bless all the nations of the earth. We get a hint of that in God's call of Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Abram, I want you to follow me. I will bless you. I will curse those who are in opposition to you, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's God's plan, is to bless other people through his people. That's always been his plan. Yet because of sin in this world, we mess it up. We think God's blessings are for us to keep. We fail to pass them on. As a result, we fail to bear fruit. And the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah are full of reminding God's people that they were called and sent and planted by God as a pure vine with the goal of, of living lives that bear fruit, with the goal of living lives that display righteousness and justice, and yet because of sin in their lives, none of that happens. All he gets is an unfruitful or a wild vine and bloodshed. Does that sound familiar? Could that be describing the church in the Western world today? God's blessings on his people are designed to show his saving power to the other people in the world around them. You can read Psalm 67 and you can see that priority. That's also on your reading plan for this week. So I, I encourage you to read that later on this week and marvel again at how God intends to bless people through his people. Jesus will say it this way, this, this vineyard, this vine work, Jesus will say it this way in Matthew chapter 28. He will say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. The blessing of God will flow from him through his people to others as we involve ourselves in God's kingdom building work of making disciples, of doing vine work. The vineyard in this parable represents the work of God's kingdom in this world. Specifically, according to the words of Jesus, disciples making disciples. 
our children's workers proclaiming the good news of the gospel to our little ones, our small group leaders proclaiming the good news of the gospel to their community group, our informal coffee meetings in our coffee shop or in another one across town being marked by three things, an open Bible, an open life, and an openness to obey the leading of the Spirit as He teaches us and shows us what God's priorities are for us. God has a plan to use you and to use me as He continues to build His church. That's what it means to do the work of the vineyard. That's what it means to be sent into this vineyard to do vine work. Secondly, let's look at the text and make some simple observations from the text about the laborers. Who are these people that God sends into this vineyard? And in chapter, or verse 2, we see, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And the first thing we learn about these laborers is that these laborers are sent into the vineyard. There was a negotiation, right, and an agreement, agreement on a wage, and that they were sent. That tells me that there's nobody working in the vineyard that just sauntered in there on their own terms. Right? There was an interaction with the master, a negotiation about the wage, and an agreement that resulted in a command, okay, you go and work in my vineyard, and that command was obeyed by these people. They went, and they entered into the work of the vineyard. And a principle that we can bank on today out of verse 2 is this. Jesus is regularly sending disciples into his world to make disciples. And if you're his disciple... He's sending you into the vineyard today to make disciples. Secondly, verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So let's first talk about the Hebrew working day. It's a 12-hour working day. It starts at 6 a.m., roughly equivalent to sun up, and it ends at 6 p.m., roughly equivalent to sundown. And now the text says that he goes out at the third hour. So he went out early in the day, and he negotiates with the first laborers that he hires, presumably around 6 a.m. Now he's at the third hour, which is three hours later, 9 a.m., and he's negotiating with these people who it says are standing idle in the marketplace. And the, the thing we learn here is that before being sent into the vineyard, the people were described as being idle. We can just blitz right past verse 3 and miss it, but before anyone is sent to the vineyard, everybody is called idle. Now, this word, this Greek word is argos, and we find that in a handful of other places in the New Testament. And by looking at three other places that um, the Holy Spirit uses this word to describe, we can understand this word a little bit better. The first is Titus chapter 1, verse 12 which says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So there's our word argos translated as lazy. Secondly, James chapter 2, verse 20 says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? There our word is translated as useless. So lazy and useless. Second Peter 1, 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There our word is translated as ineffective. So what Jesus is saying is that these, these workers, prior to being hired and sent, were idle, they were lazy, they were useless, they were ineffective. Let's look at verse 6. And about the 11th hour... He went out and he found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? These people at 5 p.m. now, the day's almost over, they have been idled all day, ineffective, useless, all day. And his question is, why? And their answer is, nobody has hired us. Which makes me wonder, were they, were they sick? Did they not look like they would be good, strong laborers? Were they out of shape? Were they physically able but just simply unmotivated? Were they disabled? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us why nobody else has been willing to hire them even at 5 p.m. in the day. 
But regardless, up until the time they were sent to the vineyard by this master, the text uses a word to describe them that means they were lazy, ineffective, and unfruitful. And the principle from this verse is that until we answer the call to make disciples, we are useless and ineffective in God's kingdom. Until we're hired, until we obey the command to go, we're useless and ineffective in God's kingdom plan. Third thing we can learn about these laborers we find in verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And that's that everyone who goes into the vineyard and works receives wages. Even those people that went at the 11th hour, 5 p.m., everybody who went got paid. Every worker in the vineyard is there and they get paid. Doesn't matter if they work just a portion of the day, like an hour, or if they worked all day long. Everyone who worked anything in the, in the vineyard got paid. Now here's a summary of the common experience that every one of these workers had. They all personally met the master. He is the one who hired them and sent them to his vineyard. Each one was personally commanded to go into the vineyard by the master. Third, each obeyed the command and they went. And fourth, each one who went to the vineyard got paid. That's the common experience of the people that were hired at 6 a.m. and the people that were hired at 5 p.m. And the principle is that every person who meets Jesus and who obeys his command to go into the world and to make disciples receives eternal life. Saving faith is a faith that works. Fourthly, the workers have different experiences, but they receive the same wage. Listen to verses 9 through 12. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have become borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So some laborers worked all day long, endured the beating sun, endured the heavy burdens of working a 12-hour workday. Some worked part of the day, right? Some were hired at 9, some were hired at noon, some were hired at 3 p.m., and some were hired at 5 p.m. and probably worked a fraction of an hour depending on how long it took them to go from the marketplace to the vineyard. If they're hired at five and they quit at six and are paid at six. But the bottom line is, is that it doesn't matter what the laborers suffered. Some suffered heavier burdens. Some suffered increased heat. Some did more. Some were more productive. Some were less productive. And they all get the same wage. That's because these wages are not proportionate to productivity because they're based on grace, not on merit. These wages, again, eternal life, right? And Ephesians 2 applies. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast, right? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Oh, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? Works are baked into Ephesians 2 as well. It's just a matter of how and where we put them. Our works are never designed by God to be a way that we earn his favor or earn our wages. His favor and his wages come to us on the basis of grace through faith and faith alone. And that faith has an object of the person and the work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And those of us who have put our faith, hope, and trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ work out of a heart of gratitude because we know we don't deserve these wages and yet he lavishes them upon us with his grace. Anyone who went to the vineyard gets paid. And these wages are eternal life, and this eternal life is not based on anyone's productivity in the vineyard, but on everyone's presence in the vineyard. People in the vineyard get paid 
based on their presence in the vineyard, not based on their productivity in the vineyard. They were there because they were sent there, and by faith they went there. Do you see what Jesus is teaching us here through this parable about salvation? Salvation is by grace through faith, and that faith that's genuine is a faith that works. And here's good news. It's still not too late to go into the vineyard. God's arms are open wide, and his call and his invitation is to you, and he is saying, if you have yet to place your faith, hope, and trust in me, if you are still idle, if you are still unproductive, useless, lazy, unfruitful in the, vi- in the vineyard, you too can come to faith in me and be sent by me into the vineyard and put your hand to the work of that plow. Because even the disciples who are barely productive at doing vine work, barely productive at making disciples, receive eternal life, just like those who are super productive. These wages are based on grace, not on merit. And it's precisely at this point in the parable that every red-blooded American with a work ethic puts his hands in the air and he says, that's not fair. Does that sound fair to you? That somebody who is hired at the 11th hour will get the same wage as you if you were hired at 6 a.m., right? And that is exactly what these workers do who were hired at 6 a.m. They begin to grumble when they get paid because they thought they were going to get paid more. And isn't that just like us to think that we are worth more than we are? To think that our efforts and our labor and all the things that we have suffered and all the things that we endure are worth more than we receive. And it's precisely at this point of perceived injustice that we need to remind ourselves about the character of the master, which is our final point today. We're going to take this passage and look and make several observations about the character of this master because examining the master's character silences our grumbling. The first thing that we see right away in verse 1 is that the master is diligent He's the first one out there. He's in the marketplace hiring at sunup. And he makes several trips back to the marketplace throughout the day, 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m. He is constantly and diligently working to hire laborers into his workforce and send them into his vineyard. He's diligent. He keeps working hard all day long. He is not like some of your bosses who disappear in the middle of the day and you can't find them. That's not the master. This master is diligent. He's the hardest working one out there, and he's the last one speaking at the end of the day. This master will work harder and has worked harder than he will ever ask you to work. Secondly, the master is reasonable. Remember, early in the parable, he goes and he negotiates the wage with his workers. He's reasonable. That tells us there was a dialogue. There was a back and forth, and they landed at a fair rate. Of pay. They landed on a denarius a day, which was the going rate for a day laborer back in this culture in this time. He's not out to get himself rich on the backs of his laborers. He's out to pay them a fair wage, and he's reasonable, and they all agreed with him. Before they went, they agreed on what they would get paid. Thirdly, this master is just. The ones he hires subsequently, the ones he hires at 9 a.m. And, and at noon, He says, you also go to the vineyard, and I will give you what is right. And they knew his character enough to not have to negotiate. They just went because he told them he would give them what was right. Fourth, the master's curious. Remember the dialogue that he has with the people at 5 p.m., the people that have been idle all day long. And he looks at them and he says, why do you stand here idle all day? And their answer, because nobody has hired us. He's curious to know their story. He wants to know why they still stand there idle. He's not rebuking them, but he's asking, why are you idle? That tells me this master wants to know everybody's story. He wants to know your story. He wants to know my story. And he is inclusive. On hearing that story, he becomes willing to hire those people at 5 p.m. that nobody else has hired the people that have been idle in the marketplace all day long, he says, come on into my workforce. You also go into the vineyard. 
I'll pay you what is right. So whatever it is that disqualified these workers from being hired by somebody else has not been a deal breaker for this master. He looks at them. He hears their response. Nobody's hired us. And he mercifully hires them and sends them. Next, we recognize that this master is unconventional. Remember, the people that he hired last are the ones that got paid first. In this culture, you don't do that. You always pay the people that you hire first, first, and the ones that you hire last, last. But Jesus switches it up. That means this master is one who won't be bound by cultural convention. He will do things that take you by surprise. The things that we think of in our mind are normal and unbendable. Like if you hired me first, you're paying me first. Jesus is not bound by that convention. He's unconventional. And he will do things that surprise you. Seventh, we find that the master is merciful. The people that he hired last, the people that stood there idle all day, they needed to eat at the end of the day too, right? And what they needed in order to buy what they needed to eat at the end of the day was a denarius. That's about what it took, was a denarius to feed you and your family. And he pays them a full wage for working one hour. That tells me this master is more interested in equality than equity. Let me say that again. He's more interested in equality than equity. Now that's a controversial statement. Because equity says that those who have less are entitled to more compensation in order for them to be brought up equal with the others. But that's not what Jesus does. He pays all of his laborers the same rate. They all get an equal wage, regardless of their work. The only thing that differentiates who gets paid and who doesn't, the only people that get paid in this parable are the ones who are sent and the ones who went, who obeyed his command to go. And appropriately, we respond to this with gratitude. We respond to his mercy. We respond to his generosity with gratitude. And our gratitude for receiving such grace is our motivation to join him in this vine work in the vineyard. Eighth, we recognize that this master is gentle. When the, when the workers who were hired first felt like they had been dealt with unjustly, they grumble at him, and he doesn't go flying off the handle in the way that I would <laughs> at somebody grumbling at me, right? He says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. And he points back to the original negotiation they had at 6 a.m. when he hired them. And he says, did you not receive what we had agreed I would pay you? And their grumbling stops. Because, of course, they did get exactly what they had agreed to earlier. And we are so prone to overvalue our productivity and overvalue what we think we're worth that we're prone to grumble. But this master is a master who is generous with his grace. Though we may grumble, though we may overestimate our productivity, what we deserve. He is one who is generous with his grace and he pays with his grace, with eternal life, everyone he calls into his vineyard. This is a master that I want to work for. How about you? This is a good, a merciful, a gracious, and a generous master. So now let's revisit the goals that I had for this message. I wanted us to understand the parable, right? I wanted us to understand that this vineyard represents God's kingdom work in this world. This, this vine work, this making of disciples so that God's blessing on his people can flow through his people to the other nations of the world. I want us to understand that the laborers are every disciple who names the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Every disciple of Jesus is sent into the vineyard to make disciples. And I want us to recognize that this master is King Jesus himself, who's describing to us what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Secondly, I needed us to become convinced of God's call to vine work. And I hope that through examining several different passages today, you re recognize that if you are in Christ, you have a call on your life to join him in his vine work. 
And I want us to make sure that our motivation for that vine work is not to earn his favor. His favor rests upon you through the person and the work of Jesus. Our motivation is a heart of gratitude because we know we don't deserve it. But he invites us into his vineyard and he pays us anyway. Even if our productivity is minuscule. Remember the thief on the cross. Dying with Jesus. Two thieves, one on either side. One says, Jesus, if you're really the son of God, save yourself and save us. And the other thief on the other side who says, what are you talking about? We deserve to die for what we've done. But this man is innocent. And you remember Jesus' words? He says, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. How much vine work did that thief do? Two words. One word of rebuke to his fellow criminal and one word of truth about Jesus. This man is innocent. And he got eternal life on his 11th hour and 59 minutes little piece of vine work. And he gets the same reward as the Apostle Paul who has written much of the New Testament and who suffered a martyr's death. Does that sound fair to you? It may not be fair, but it is just. And this same salvation is offered to you and me. So in application, we may be asking, because this particular parable is bookended by a statement that says, the first will be last and the last will be first. And we're tempted to scratch our heads and spin our wheels saying, am I the first who's going to be last? Or am I the last who's going to be first? And I might suggest to you that a, probably a better question is, Am I at work in the vineyard or am I still standing idle? That's what I want us to wrestle with today. Am I in the vineyard working because I've been called into the vineyard and sent into the vineyard and have gone there by faith? Or am I still standing idle? Am I in desperate need to be hired? Remember, God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm guessing there are some in the room today who are still standing idle and who need to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and hear and receive the invitation and the commission to go into the vineyard as a laborer. And if that's you, a simple prayer like this could, could get you into the vineyard Father, I agree with Jesus that I've been idle, I've been fruitless, I've been worthless, I've been lazy, I have not done what you call me to do. And I repent of that. I trust you, Jesus. I trust what you did on the cross to make perfect payment for my sin. And I go now in the power of the Holy Spirit as you send me into that vineyard. And I don't even know what it looks like to make a disciple, but under your influence, I'm willing to try. So send me and fill me and empower me and have your way in and through me, trusting that that will bring glory and honor to your name. So Lord Jesus, have your way. Amen. Amen. And for the rest of us who are in the vineyard, tempted to be distracted, let's keep our hand on the plow. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the master. Let's remember his character. And with a heart of gratitude, let's keep making disciples. We love you.
to Jesus. And what a joy it is to be able to surrender all to a blessed Savior that we have in Jesus. This master who is generous and gracious and merciful and fair and just. And the idea of being involved in vine work is an old idea for many of you. You, so many of you have your hand to the plow of making disciples in a number of ways and I'm so encouraged by that. But for some of you, it might be a new idea. And some of you may need to process through it in prayer with somebody. We'll have a prayer team up here on my left, your right. I'll be over here on the other side. It would be a privilege for us to pray with you and process through with you. If you have questions about what it might look like to be involved in vine work, stop by our Connect booth, talk to one of our ministry leaders. All of our ministries are designed to help put you and your gifts in a place where you can participate with what the Master is doing in his vineyard. So that's our call, that's our joy, it's our privilege to do that with an overflowing heart full of gratitude. And today, let me leave you with these words of Jesus. Surely, whatever you have left behind, for my sake, you will receive a hundredfold and eternal life. Go forth with that knowledge in the power of the Spirit. Amen. We love you.